Thank you, Pastor Alcock. Thank you, church family, for the privilege and the opportunity to uh, visit with you here this Lord's Day. Uh, we are so thankful for your prayers and your uh, generous and faithful support of our ministry. Uh, really, and, and I, I say this from my heart, we couldn't do what we're doing without you. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's only me this time. I have to apologize. A lot of people, where's Cindy? Where's the kids? Uh, we've had all six of our children home at least for 24 hours this summer. So they've kind of been coming and going, and their paths have intersected at our home. Uh, right now, uh, we have the two college students, Renee and Aaron, are with us uh, through tomorrow and Tuesday before they fly back down to uh, Lancaster, California to begin their fall semester at West Coast Baptist College. So we've been real thankful to, to see our children, see family uh, through the summer. There's been a little bit of a lull as far as uh, travel and meetings for the past three weeks, uh, but it really begins in earnest again in September. And so uh, do keep us in prayer. Something we do not take for granted is safety on the road and safety as we travel. Uh, since we moved from Brampton, we've traveled probably 25,000 kilometers by car and another 30,000 plus by air. So we're, we're putting on the frequent uh, travel miles and uh, we're, we are so thankful that God enables us to do that. And I want to say that Really, wherever we have gone across Canada, um, we've been well-received. And the message, really the burden that we have, has also been well-received. And a lot of that is a tribute to Mississauga International Baptist Church. You know, as, as I'm able to travel and represent these ministries now, uh, people speak so highly of MIBC, and so that's a credit to all of the faithful people here and the ongoing leadership under Pastor Alcock. And uh, I want you to realize something, that across our country, there are numbers of churches uh, that are without pastor. And there are numbers of churches who have pastors who are maybe in the latter years of their ministry and what I'm often hearing is that, uh, Brother Thiessen, we don't have anyone to succeed us. We don't have anyone to follow. So uh, I trust that you're truly thankful and appreciative of the fact that uh, God has uh, given that uh, continuity of leadership here at MIBC. And God has given you a faithful pastor, a man that loves the Word of God. And so I, I trust you rejoice and thank God for that. Uh, on a daily basis. Uh, people have asked me about the support level. Uh, continue to pray uh, uh, for that. We're probably around 40% of the support that we need uh, to raise. So there's 60 to go. And so pray that uh, uh, God will show us favor in that regard. We'll find uh, favor in, in, in the hearts of pastors and churches as we travel. And uh, really, we don't present it uh, from a standpoint of, of needing support when we go. It's, it's really first about ministry. And um, so uh, we want to serve. We want to serve churches. We want to serve pastors. 
And when, when we left here, Sort of this introduction and uh, update of ministry is a little longer. Uh, we, we will get to the preaching. Uh, but I feel like it's just, I, I want to share our heart on this. Um, you know, as, as we began our travels, <clears throat> our prayer was, Lord, we just want to know that you're still using us. You know, that's the important thing. What, whatever you're doing, uh, as a Christian, you you want to know and you need to know that God's using you. I mean, if you're involved in the music ministry here, involved in the VBS in these weeks, however that you serve as a faithful Christian, uh, you want to know and you need to know that God's using you. And so that was our prayer. And I can tell you that... Uh, you know, week by week, God is just confirming His calling in our hearts. And uh, I can give you examples, maybe without giving you names, but uh, I, I spoke with a young pastor, and uh, he just opened his heart up to me for an hour or so. And he just said, what we as younger pastors really need is the generation before us to make an investment in us, in our lives, in our ministries. I said, that... Word investment is a great word. Would you care to define that for me? And he said, well, what I mean by that is just for these guys to pick up the phone and say, hey, how's it going in your ministry? Can we get together for a coffee? You know, can I take you out for lunch? And, and uh, can I come down and see what your ministry is all about? It's just that investment of time. To say that we care. And so, uh, one thing that the Lord is teaching me is that you can impress men from a distance, but you can only influence them close up. And so, there is that need to just be uh, on the ground, uh, in the places where those men and their families are serving. Cindy is finding similar with pastor's wives. We were in Quebec. And... Uh, on a Saturday, we had uh, arrived at the pastor's home. He had originally planned to be there, but he's a bivocational pastor. And so he had gotten called in for work at the last minute. And so uh, my wife and I arrived. Joel was with us, and it was just the pastor's wife there. And she, uh, she just latched on to Cindy and just needed that encouragement so much. It was a small church in Quebec, rural Quebec. Really, we had no thought that that church would support us. And we were surprised when we got back home. I got an email from the pastor. He said, Brother Thiessen, our folks really loved your uh, ministry and they seemed to connect with you and just wanted you to know we voted on Sunday afternoon to take you on for support. Well, I credit that one to, uh, to my wife's conversation with the pastor's wife. <laughs> Because uh, she really identified and needed that fellowship and encouragement and a listening ear. And so the, these are the sorts of things that, that God is doing. In Newfoundland, um, I sat with one pastor and he talked my ear off till midnight every night. You know what? I didn't tell him, but he was keeping me up past my bedtime. You know, when you get to be 57, your bedtime's a little earlier. Amen? <laughs> uh, but... You know, he did most of the talking. I did a lot of the listening. 
And he said, Brother Thiessen, when you're as isolated as we are here in Newfoundland, he said, sometimes you wonder if you're thinking straight. And he said, thank you for listening because it really has restored me a, a level of, of sanity, if you will. And so uh, these, these are some of the things. And uh, please pray. There's such a need for churches to be not only planted in Canada, but strengthened. And our ministry, of course, is not only Canada as an end to itself. But if we really believe in the Great Commission, you believe in the Great Commission here? I know you do. Well, then it, then it has to be the world through Canada. And I'm praying that God would raise up laborers. I'm praying that God uh, would raise young men and women for vocational Christian ministry, as well as folks that would be bivocational. Folks that are, I don't like the term uh, per se, but, you know, they're lay people serving God. And they will partner with local churches and ministries and missions around the world and have a part in that, even if it's a short-term mission trip. You know, there's something for every one of us to do. In God's service. Alright, so that's not preaching. That's just kind of sharing from my heart off the cuff. And um, I'm so glad uh, I'm so glad that I could be here this weekend. Enjoyed the golf with the men yesterday. Okay? And contrary to what Pastor Matt suggested yesterday, he said the teams were stacked. Our, our team happened to take home the hardware. Okay? He said the teams were stacked. Yeah, you gotta know that the average age on our team, Pastor Matt, was like 57. So we were the seniors tour. And, um, just slow and steady sometimes takes the race, right? So, uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, just looking forward to the fellowship here today. Now, uh, Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to find our text this morning. Luke chapter 9. And <clears throat> we'll look at more of the chapter than just the text which we... Uh, pardon me, Matt, did I say Luke? Matthew. There is a parallel passage in Luke, and that's what threw me off there. I want Matthew chapter 9. Verses 35 through 38. We'll look at more than uh, just the, the text which we read as we get into the message. <clears throat> but I want to preach to you this morning about harvest time and the need for reapers. And hey, you probably knew you're going to get a missions message. At least one of the two today. We'll talk about discipleship and some important aspects of discipleship this evening. Uh, but this is strictly a missions message. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. And you can read along silently as I read the Scriptures out loud. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. 
Let's uh, unite our hearts together in prayer, shall we? Lord, we're thankful for this day as we are every day, Lord, and especially since this is the Lord's Day. This is the first day of the week in which we gather together in uh, as we remember what you accomplished for us, not only by your uh, death and burial, but by your victorious resurrection and your power, your triumphant victory over sin and over the grave. And uh, Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us and what you mean for us. And, and thank you for the word of God that we can open freely and, the, and look at it and learn. And so I pray that you'd bless the message this morning. Lord, speak to my own heart and speak through me. And um, Lord, I pray that you'd continue to use Mississauga International Baptist Church in a mighty way. I pray that your hand would be upon its leadership I pray that, uh, Lord, you continue to add to the church daily such as should be saved. And, Lord, we thank you. It's a wonderful thing to come and, and hear about a baptismal that be taking place next week and hear about folks uh, uniting with the church. Lord, how exciting and what a thrilling time that is for a church family. And I just pray uh, that they would see uh, that time and time again in the months and in the years that, that come. Now, as we focus on your word, Lord, help us to understand uh, our particular place in your harvest field. Lord, the niche that you have for us to fill. Lord, the ministry that you'd have us be involved in. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love harvest time, and really it is about that time of year right now, isn't it? I look forward to uh, the time of year when you can get locally grown produce. I mean, enough of this stuff that's waxed and so forth uh, sitting on the uh, shelves of, the, of your supermarket. I like to get something that's farm grown, don't you? It just tastes that much better. I mean, have you ever taken just a, like a store-bought carrot and, a, and one that you pulled out of your garden? And do a taste test. I mean, it's greater than the difference between Coke and Pepsi. You know, and Coke is clearly way better than Pepsi. Uh, but I, I, I like it. And down in the Windsor area where we live now, there's a lot of that. I mean, we're living uh, on the edge of the tomato capital of Canada. And so there's a lot of great local produce. The, the watermelons are grown down there and the, and the tomatoes and the cucumbers. And it just seems like everything's available right, right there. Where I grew up in western Canada in the lower Fraser Valley of British Columbia, it, it, it was and is the raspberry capital of Canada. And when we were uh, youngsters, when we were teenagers, my siblings and I, that, that was the thing for summertime employment. We'd go out and pick strawberries, and we'd pick raspberries. And um, we, we had uh, some great times in a raspberry field. It wasn't, wasn't all good, you know. <laughs> but um, I really loved the peak of the season, because at the peak of harvest time, those raspberries grow so thick on those bushes and we, what we would do, we'd have a 15-pound flat 
12 little individual baskets in that flat. We'd have to fill with raspberries, and then we'd bring it in, get it weighed on the scale, make sure it weighed in, and we'd get our card punched for one flat. And it was you got paid by piecework, right? So obviously you're really making money during the, during the peak of the season. During the dog days, that's when you goof off. You know, you shouldn't do that, but that's what we did. And I, I can remember... We'd pick into these gallon ice cream pails that we'd hook onto our, our belt. And at the peak of the season, those raspberry plants were so laden with ripe raspberries that you could stand in one spot, not even move a foot to the right or the left, and you could fill your pail. And you go dump in the flat, that would be about, uh, probably about four baskets full of raspberries. And you'd go back and just start all over again. I mean, I love harvest time. And our text speaks of a spiritual harvest for which you and I as Christians should be even more excited about. A harvest time for the souls of mankind. And Jesus speaks to this and addresses uh, this great need um, on the heels of seeing the need in the hearts of men that moved him to compassion. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion. It, it, it means to be moved in one's inward part, to, to feel sympathy and to have mercy. What he saw affected both his eye and his heart. By the way, when Jesus sees our lives, he's moved with compassion too. And he, we're told in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, is, is a high priest that is touched with even the feelings of our infirmities. So never think about in your uh, discouragement, in your distress, in your time of need, never for once think that Jesus doesn't care. Listen, God sees and God knows your situation and He cares. If you're a child of God, think how much He cares for you. He cares about the lost people too. He cares about those that are on their way to a crisis eternity, on their way to a devil's hell. And Jesus was moved with compassion. How often we read about that in the Gospels and how he wept over the city of Jerusalem. But Jesus not only saw the multitude, he not only had that inward compassion, but it moved him to action. And in that compassion, his action in this passage is to call the disciples to action. He calls them to prayer. And he calls for and addresses the need of human instrumentality in the reaching of the world's vast multitudes. I wonder this morning, to what degree do do we share that compassion of Christ? To what degree do we share in that vision? To what degree will we respond to His invitation? And it begins with seeing the multitudes as Jesus saw them. Christ saw the throngs, but He didn't just see them as a mass of people. He saw them as individuals. And in the previous verses, He had touched the lives of several individuals and healed them of various uh, 
sicknesses and, and conditions and even had raised the dead. And their conditions really speak to a corresponding spiritual condition that the world is in today. I mean, they have physical diseases still, but, you know, the spiritual disease is a far worse scenario than simply the physical disease. Just like the daughter of Jairus. Let's let's look back to verse 18. He says, Well, I spake these things unto them. Behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which... Uh, let, let's stop there at verse uh, 20, because this is... Uh, we'll, we'll get back to this woman in a minute. In verse 20, Jesus is interrupted as he's on the way to Jairus' house. Okay, then we come down to verse uh, 23. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making the noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And so just like the daughter of Jairus, who was dead. You know, they laughed when Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. I mean, uh, to Jesus, he has power over death. Right? But... What's more serious than physical death? It's spiritual death. Spiritual death. Listen, when my brother Phil passed away back in 2011, the whole family, we flew out to Vancouver, and there uh, we had a private viewing with just the family, immediate family, visitation. There was Phil's open casket, my younger brother. And I remember my dad. You know, he was, you could see he just bent over with the weight of the grief as a parent, losing a child. And he walked over to Phil's casket and he kind of examined the body for a while. And then he turned to us. And through tears, he just said two words. He said, it's real. It's real. I think for my dad, there was that moment where he had to see the body. For it to register and get that finality. Death is real. Physical death is real. You, if you've been at the, if you've been at that, uh, bedside of your loved one and seen them pass out in, into eternity, you've been at that funeral, you've been at that visitation, you've been, you, you've been in that place. I'm telling you, the, the reality and the finality of that physical death, it, it hits you. But spiritual death is every bit as real. And we, we need to understand that apart from Christ, our neighbors, our co-workers, these people, we talk about unreached people groups around the world, they're spiritually dead. And folks, it's real. And in many ways, it's more real. More real, if you, if you can think about it. But thank God... Jesus has compassion on those that are spiritually dead. And just like he raised Jairus' daughter, he can raise those that are spiritually dead too. And we have this testimony according to Ephesians 2 and verse 1. You hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
Not only like Jairus' daughter did Jesus have compassion on the multitudes because they were spiritually dead, but they were spiritually diseased. Like the woman who interrupted Jesus on his way to Jairus' house in verse 20. Behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. There's a woman who sought the help of physicians at the expense of her life savings. I mean, she had tried everything, but she hadn't found a cure. She hadn't found help. She had not found hope. And she comes to Christ. And Christ had the answer. Christ had the healing. Christ had the cure that she needed. And you know, physical disease, it leaves its marks, its scars on all of our lives. We lose loved ones. We have serious concern for those that are sick in our midst and in our families. And, and ultimately, you know, you, you observe it through the course of your life, don't you? That generation that's just preceded us, our parents, and we see them start to slow down. We see them start to bear some of the, 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 the weight of the advanced years. And physically, the body begins to break down. Sometimes it's the mind. It's, it's tough to see that. It, it, it's tough. But sin leaves far worse marks in our lives. Misery. Someone said sin will take you farther than you want to go. Slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will keep you longer than you want to say. Sin will cost you far more, friend, than you want to pay. And Jesus has compassion. So never think that Jesus doesn't care about your life. Never think, well, you know what? I've, I've kind of been following... And drifting spiritually. I, I've, been, I've been, you know, kind of fascinated with sin. I've, I've been drifting that way. Listen, Jesus cares. Some people might think, well, you know, I've just gone too far out in sin. No, no. Jesus has compassion on you. And if you're not saved today, Jesus wants to save your eternal soul. Just like the... Woman, Jesus can heal you. Jesus had compassion on those that were blind. There were two blind men following Jesus in verse 27 through 31. Jesus departed thence. Two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched ye their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus straightly charged them, seeing that no man know it. Thank God these men acknowledged their blindness and their need and they knew that Jesus had the answer. How sad it is sometimes in the spiritual realm, the spiritual analogy, where that spiritual blindness is like a pride that grips our heart and our life. And so many times we will not acknowledge that spiritual blindness because it's pride. 
In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, it says that the God of this world, who's that? It's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. But I want you to know something. Just like Jesus healed those blind men, Jesus can remove the scales off of the blind sinner's mind. And Jesus can bring the glorious light of the gospel. Don't give up on your lost loved ones. They were blind. They were also bound like the demon-possessed man in verse 32. It says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said he cast out devils to the prince of the devils. What a dumb thing to say, right? This illustrates man's hopelessness and really his inability to change. This, this man could not even, you know, the blind man could cry out for help. The demon-possessed man couldn't even do that. How sad. You know, I think there's some that are just so overburdened by sin and Satan's grip in their lives. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to seek. They're searching. They're grasping for something. Jesus has compassion. And so when we see this verse 36 come now, where Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. I mean, fresh in our memory, if we've read the Scriptures, are folks that have died and been risen again. Folks that have been diseased and been healed. Folks that have been blind and had their eyes open. Folks that have been bound by Satan and have been loosed by the power of God. But Jesus is looking deeper into the hearts of, of men. And it weighs on him that there is a condition far worse than even what he's healed these individuals from. And it's a spiritual condition of death and disease and being bound and blind by, blinded by Satan. And so he's moved with compassion. It's quite the, quite the portrait. Now, there are several biblical reasons, many, many that we could bring out, why every believer must be involved in reaping that harvest of lost men. I just want us to look at one from our text today. And, and, and that is that we must be involved because of the equation of it all. I mean, let's just look at the math. Something doesn't add up here. Jesus said the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Plenteous and few. Great and not so great. Many and not so many. Something's wrong with that equation. The staggering opportunity to size the harvest today. Think of it. Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous. And therefore, the opportunity to reap is now. We all know what happens if, you know, trees are heavily laden with fruit and nobody goes out to harvest it. If the fields are ripe to harvest and nobody touches it, what happens? The fruit spoils. The fruit goes to waste. It dries up, shrivels up, it rots, rots, it wastes away. 
some years ago, I, I saw a little little video uh, about the Idaho potato farmers. And, you know, in Idaho, they with the potatoes, they're famous for potatoes, okay? Um, they're kind of the U.S. version of Prince Edward Island. And so, you know, everybody likes Idaho potatoes. But they rotate the crops. Potatoes only grow every third year on the soil. So they go wheat one year, they go wheat a second year, and then they go potatoes. And so this potato farmer was on that video talking about the urgency of harvesting the potatoes. He said, we, we rotate the crops. But he said, that soil, it's all about the potatoes. That's our big crop. That's our money crop. We just, we just uh, you know, we, we, we sow the wheat in the intervening years just to uh, keep that soil in the right condition for the potatoes. We don't make a lot of money on the wheat. And so he says, in, in, early in the fall, when those potatoes are ripe, he says, we have a two-week window. Two weeks. We've got to get all the potatoes in. And you know what? They, they go out with those harvesting machines and they harvest that, those, that potato crop. Do you think that that is a nine-to-five job? Are you kidding me? No, they go all day, and they go into the night, and they go into the wee morning hours, if need be. Why? Because, that, as that potato farmer said, we only got to have a two-week window. He said, we cannot afford to miss it. We cannot afford to miss it. Now, if they, those potato farmers out in Idaho will do all of that just to bring you your McDonald's fries... How much more important do you think the harvest of souls is? And Jesus said it, it's right. It's a ripe harvest. The harvest is great. The opportunity is today. Listen, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. It could be today. Don't you think that, that we need to put some extended effort into this? In our world today, there is still over half of our world unreached with the gospel. You know about the 1040 window. I probably don't have to belabor that point. But 90% of people living in that 1040 window, northern Africa and most of across India, China, and Asia, 90% of those people are unevangelized. Interestingly enough, 85% of those living in that 1040 window are among the poorest of the world's poor as well. Not only do they not have Christ, they don't have much of anything else. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism are the religions that dominate in those regions. How Satan has a grip on that part of the world. It ought to burden our heart. It ought to move us to action. It ought to move us to compassion. And while the need may not be as desperate in Canada, there's still a tremendous need for laborers all across our great land. I mean, there are only 300 at best independent Baptist churches for 37 million people. That's one for every 125,000 souls. In our large city, the number is closer to one for maybe every half a million. But there, is, there needs to be an urgency about this. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.2, 
that behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus said to his disciples in John 4.35, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So we learn about the staggering opportunity and size of that harvest. And then Jesus talks about the other side of the equation, and that's the few. The scarcity of the laborers. Jesus had how many disciples? That is a uh, interactive question. How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. All right. We, we know one was a scoundrel. One was a traitor. But even twelve. And Jesus gave them the great commission initially. But were twelve enough? Do you think twelve are enough? Absolutely not. The parallel passage to the one that we are in this morning is found in Luke chapter 10. And there we learn that these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples were on the cusp of him sending the 70 on a mission. In Luke 10 verse 1 it says, And these things the Lord, uh, after these things the Lord appointed other 70 also. Other 70 means it's in addition to the 12. 12 plus 70 is how many? 82. Okay? Is that enough? Absolutely not. It's not enough. Do we have enough laborers today? I don't believe we do. When William Carey, who's widely considered as the father and founder of the modern missionary movement, went to India in 1793... After settling in the Calcutta area, he wrote back to his missions agency in England and impressed upon them the need for more laborers. And this is what William Carey petitioned them for. He said, I recommend at the very least seven or eight additional families be sent to help in the work. Imagine that. Why do we need more laborers? Because the harvest is great. And harvesting, listen, harvest, it's hard work. Even when you have a whole bunch of people involved, you're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to get sweaty. You're going to know exhaustion. You're going to know thirst and hunger. Because you're working hard at it. If you've never, you know, been engaged in farm work, you, you, uh, you know that it's hard. These men were sent into a vast field with very few workers to help them reap a great harvest. And you know what the temptation is? I'm talking about in the Lord's work sometimes. I know your pastor feels this. I, I, I felt it. When I'm pastoring, I feel it now. I was in St. John's, Newfoundland with Pastor Holman at Mount Pearl there, First Baptist Church. And Brother Holman got up and he told his congregation, you know what Brother Thiessen is doing, traveling, encouraging, exhorting, and just doing this ministry now as he travels across Canada? He said, we could use ten other guys right now doing it. It wouldn't be enough. Okay, but 
What, what we feel sometimes in the Lord's work, those that are in vocational Christian work, is we feel like there's so much to do and we just can't do it all. And you're, you're constantly uh, juggling your priorities to get the work done. And it's overwhelming the need. It's overwhelming. Listen, you, you can come as an individual, you know, sort of with, with, a, with a tunnel vision. You come with your need. And you say, Pastor, I need help with this and this and this. And, and sometimes it, you've got the blinders on. You, you don't see anybody else's need. All you see is your need. And, and, and you need the pastor's focus and time. And he's gracious. And he gives you his time. And he opens the word with you. And he patiently and he helps you. What you don't see is the things that come on the pastor's plate every day and every week. And the burden that, that he carries. And I'll tell you, there, you know, you, you sleep lightly when you wear the crown. When you're sort of at the top of the food chain. And I don't think you ever pillow your head at, at, at night and think, well, you know what? Boy, I dusted everything off today. Wow. You know, that was a good day. No. You go, you go to bed every night thinking there's things left undone. And so sometimes the temptation for those that are involved in that can be to say, Lord, give me an easier job. <laughs> Lord, lighten the load for me. I, I, I can't carry this all. But that's not what Jesus told His disciples to pray, is it? He didn't say pray for an easier job. What did He say? Pray for more laborers. You see, that's the answer. Because the great harvest is not going away. It's not going away. And so we ought to be praying for laborers in God's harvest field. And that's the solution. Now, listen, if you pray... God will answer your prayer and others will go. Do you believe that? Amen. You better believe that. And maybe why we're not seeing so many laborers enter into that harvest field is because we're just simply not obedient to what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. We're not praying that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. If we really believe that, we'll pray. And if we really believe it and we pray, God will answer that prayer. He's said it right here in His Word. If you pray among those others who go, it might be your children. It might be your grandchildren. Now, don't answer the question, but you need to ask it in your heart. Do I really want that? Am I okay with that? We need to be okay with that. Oh, no, I, I want my children and my grandchildren, they've they got, all got to be around close to me. Wouldn't you rather have your children the other side of the world in the center of God's will than next door to you living for the devil? Living to please themselves? Just carrying on their own agenda instead of the Lord's? If you pray, you need to be willing to let go of those, you know, and have your children let go of mama's apron strings, as it were. Let them go. If you pray, and this is often the case, 
you'll likely be the one that goes. Do you want that? Are you willing to go? Now, we're not all going to go as vocational missionaries. But we, if we're not going across the ocean, going across the country, can't we go across the street? Can't we go across to the cubicle next to us and witness to that coworker? The fact is, we're not spectators that should be praying for someone to come along and do work that we're unwilling to do. Every one of us will have opportunities. If we'll pray this prayer, God's going to lay those opportunities in front of us. Capitalize on them. Don't squander them. And you know, if you're here today as a young person, maybe as an older person, but you're struggling with God's will in your life, Maybe you're torn between just surrendering your heart entirely to the Lord and saying, God, if you want me to go, I'll go. I will go across the country. I'll go across the oceans. I will go wherever you'd have me to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're, if, if you're struggling with that and saying, well, you know, Maybe God wants me to do that, but you know what? I have my own agenda over here. If you're wrestling with that today, it's probably because people are praying for laborers. And God, in answer to their prayer, has put His finger and His hand upon your heart. Are you listening? Will you respond? Now, I travel for a couple of ministries that were both the church planting emphasis and Baptist Missions to Forgotten People as a mission board. We're always encouraging others to pray about ministry. I'm often talking with young people in churches, and I ask them, have you considered missions? I talk to young men, have you considered Church planting. And often I get a deer caught in the headlights stare. As if that never rang a bell with them before. I'm telling you what. We need to consider it. Now I'm, I'm not a recruiter. I don't want anyone responding just because of the tug of the emotions. Or, you know, Brother Thiessen thinks we ought to consider that, so maybe we should consider that. I'm telling you what, man-made missionaries are useless. What we need is God-called men and women. And I'm interested in connecting with those God-called people. Because for every God-called pastor, missionary, there's so many opportunities for service that will blow your mind. You know, we're, we're not pumping out missionaries and pastors here in Canada at a, at a rate where we're like, 
wow, we have too many. We don't know where to put you guys. You know, the problem is the other way. There's so many vacancies and there's so many needs. There's churches without pastors. There's communities without Bible-preaching churches. There's communities that don't even have a gospel witness in our country. Never mind the 1040 window. And we have seemingly no laborers for those areas. Will you pray as Jesus commanded you to pray? And will you pray, Lord, send me. Old-time pastor down in the States, and I love this quote. I don't know the name of the pastor, but I came across this quote years ago. He said, when a man prays for corn, the Lord expects him to say amen with a hoe. Hey, you pray for a harvest. God says, you know, here's your tool. What are you going to do about it? I've always believed you should not pray about anything unless you're willing to do something about it. Harvest time is harvest time. Let's pray.